So Ness, it's just brilliant to have you with us. Thanks so much. So last October when I started my sabbatical, I went up to Wigan to a conference called Launch Catalyst and I met Ness and her husband Rich there. And uh, that was just great. And I've been part of the, well, before it was Pioneer, I was down in Southampton, part of New Community Church, which is now part of Pioneer. And so there's a bit of a connection there, but it was just great to meet both of you in, in Wigan. And so earlier this year, just contacted Ness and just said, would you come and speak? And she said, yes which is great. So we're really blessed. So Ness is the leader at Open Heaven Church in Loughborough, um, also the team leader of the Pioneer Network of Churches in the UK, part of the core team on the Wildfires Festival, and also part of the Evangelical Alliance Council. Is that right? Um, There's probably more that I haven't mentioned, but I think that's quite an introduction already, isn't it? So um, thanks so much for being here, Ness. Have your freedom. We'd love just to hear what's on your heart. And thank you. Over to you. Well, hello, friends. It's, it's really good to be with you. Um, there's, a, there's some more connections as well, just in, in chatting to Phil. We've um, had some young people who now are not so young, but were young, uh, kind of from, from this was their kind of home turf, like Stephen Allwright, so you might know him, Chris Ford, uh, different people. So uh, there's, there's more connections as well. So as I, was, as I was thinking about this celebration today, I was drawn to a passage which perhaps is a little unusual um, because it's Romans 16, which essentially is a list of names. <laughs> so it's not the normal go-to passage for a sort of an inspirational celebration talk. But I just really felt there was so much here for us to dig into. So please do get your Bibles out. You might have real paper copies. You might have it on your phone and find Romans chapter 16 for me. Okay, Romans 16. So we'll just go all the way through. Here we go, verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centraea, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. Greet my dear friend, Epenetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junior, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding amongst the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend, Stachus. Greet Apellus, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristopolis. I'm saying these like I know how to really pronounce them. You know, I've learned over the years, if you sort of say it with confidence, then, you know, 
no one, no one particularly knows. So I'll just keep going, okay? We're saying it like with confidence. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend, Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience. So I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, send you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus send you their greetings. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Whew. Well, I think the first thing to notice about this passage is that Paul loves teamwork, doesn't he? This is no kind of lone ranger, independent superstar. Paul loved team, and he modeled teamwork in a brilliant and a compelling way. I think he understood that team is not just a good idea. Team is a God idea. Because actually we see reflected right at the heart of the Trinity, the Godhead team. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together with a common goal in interdependent, harmonious relationships. And we're created in the image of God. So we're created in order to work together in team. It was a priority for Jesus, wasn't it? You know, before he started his ministry, what did he do? He created a team. I'm fascinated that the distribution of spiritual gifts are such that no one person has them all. I have never met a single person who has every single spiritual gift. Maybe there's one here. Maybe you're the exception to the rule. But I kind of think there's something in the scheming and the economy of God that means he's created us almost with lack, 
We're all created with deficits so that we need each other. We need team. The references to the body of Christ are all about our need for each other. 1 Corinthians 12, you know that amazing image of the body. Verse 12, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. We all get to play. I just think that is brilliant. You know, nobody is on the sidelines. There's no, we're not on the bench. We all get to play in the kingdom cause. Romans 12, verse 6. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. I would encourage you, find out what it is that God has given you to do and get good at doing it. Because, you know, if if, if we've all of us, we've been given something unique, a unique set of spiritual gifts Work out what they are and then invest in them. It's a bit like the parable of the talents. You know, I can remember working out probably in my early 20s. Okay, well, God, I think you've given me something of a preaching, teaching gift. So I'm going to do what I can to invest in that every year. Whether that's, you know, going on conferences and, and, and listening to people who are further ahead than me. Whatever it is that God has given you to do, get better at it, get good at it, because that gives God glory and enables us to serve his body well. So Paul loves teamwork. The second thing to notice about this passage is that I think Paul is really good at creating a culture of honour. Did you notice? Like he's got something positive to say about every single person. He sees the gold and he speaks it out. He thinks of someone... It's like, you know, it's almost like what what we're seeing is this running commentary. It's like the narrative that's going on in Paul's head, and we get to have a peek in. He thinks of someone, and immediately he thinks words of encouragement. They just spill out of him. And I think there's something really important about our culture of honor. I think it's, it's the culture of heaven, isn't it? You know, there's something I've read quite a lot about heaven. Um, and uh, some, of the, well, some of the things that I, I, I love about um, a, a kind of a concept of heaven where there's both words that are being spoken to each other, but there's a heart language of continuous affirmation, encouragement. I see you, I notice you, I bless you, you're brilliant. And there's something that can happen when we create a culture of honour and a culture of encouragement here that I do think reflects the agenda of heaven. And as a complete outsider to this church, can I encourage you to be a church that excels in encouragement? You know, don't just think something positive about somebody, actually say it to them. Even better, write it down. Can I say to you as well, encourage your leaders? Again, you know, I'm a complete outsider, but I do know something of the cost of leadership. People don't do church leadership because of the fantastic pay packets or the prestige or the power. They do it out of obedience to God's call on their life. And they do it to love people and to lay their lives down so that others can become all that God created them to be. So encourage your leaders. And when you do encourage them, be specific. You know, it struck me over many years how often encouragement is general, but criticism is specific. 
So be specific in your encouragement to your leaders and to each other. You know, there's something, isn't there, about the word encouragement. It's got courage in the middle. And what happens when we encourage each other is we create courage. So when you encourage your leaders, actually you create courage in them. They can be an even better gift to you because courage has been created. So Paul loves team and and, uh, he's brilliant at modeling encouragement and honor. So let's have a little look then at what he says about his fellow co-workers. So verse 1, Phoebe, the first of uh, these people mentioned in this hall of fame. And uh, it's, it's fascinating to me, just even in the first um, seven verses, seven people are commended, four out of the seven are women. And how Paul refers to these women, who they are, their character, and the roles they fulfill, is a really clear demonstration of Paul's view and practice of women. You know, what we do shows what we believe. So Phoebe, she's been commissioned and she's been entrusted to deliver this letter, the book of Romans, by hand from the church in Centria, a port of Corinth, all the way to the church in Rome. So that's quite something. You know, that's quite a task, going from Corinth to Rome, carrying this precious cargo of the book of Romans. And it's likely, as well as delivering it, she would have had the job of reading it out and possibly explaining some of it to the believers in Rome. Paul refers to her as a deacon. The Greek word there, many of you will know this, diakonos, can be translated deacon or minister or servant. Paul refers himself as a deacon, a servant, a minister of Christ, and also applies it at different points to Timothy and Apollos. So we know, don't we, deacons... They were an established office in the early church. We know they appeared first in Acts 6. You remember where it's kind of like, you know, there's, there's some practical help that needs to happen in terms of distributing food. And so we know that uh, that role was created. We know one of the first deacons, don't we, Stephen, was stoned to death. And now here we have, this probably is AD 58 when the book of Romans is written, that we have here another mention of a deacon. So obviously interesting here, both men and women are placed as deacons. A little bit of church history for you. For you it says that AD 112, which is about 50 years after the book of Romans, the then Roman governor actually interrogated two church leaders who were women, and he called them by this term, deacons. They probably were singled out because of the role and the ministry that they had in the church. So Phoebe is a ministry in the Corinthian church, and more than that, Paul says, welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor amongst God's people. So he says to the church, you know, Honour her, treat her well, welcome her as God's people ought to welcome each other. There should be no strangers in the family of God. Travelling Christians should always be able to find family. You know, I, th- I mean, church really, church is family at its essence, isn't it? I kind of think church is a community of the broken, all finding family together. And so Paul tells, her to wo- tells them to welcome Phoebe in the Lord and, uh, and, and says she's one who's worthy of honor 
And then this last bit is interesting. Give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. That word, the Greek word benefactor, prostatis, means champion, guardian, or patron. In other words, it seems like Phoebe is probably a woman of some means. She's a benefactor. And I, again, that's just fascinating that Paul is happy to be financially supported by her. She's obviously a woman who knows what it is to hold kingdom resources in kingdom hands. And that's, that, that is a, that's a, you know, a gift that God does give to some people, to be wealth creators and hold kingdom resources in kingdom hands. Rather than God, you know, how much shall I keep? It's God, how much can I give? You know, there are some people, it's just like they become fully alive when they get to give into kingdom work. And so then we go on to verses 3 and 4 and 5. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. Greet also the church that meets at their house. So Priscilla and Aquila are husband and wife team. At married church planters, Paul regards them as co-workers or partners in his apostolic mission. And we actually see them both in Rome and in Corinth where they hosted churches in their house. And so that, that really means that they've probably planted the church and are leading the church. Remember, there's no such thing as church buildings like this. So, uh, and often the houses, you know, they, they, they would have those people who had the means, they would be quite large. There'd be a number of rooms to them. So we've got um, Priscilla and Aquila. We actually hear about them way back in Acts chapter 18. So let me just read to you a little bit from verses 24 to 26. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, although he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So Priscilla and Aquila, they basically discipled and taught this gifted, probably young, enthusiastic speaker called Apollos. He had some gaps in his understanding around baptism, but they obviously had the kind of standing and recognition within the church community that it was, a, it was completely appropriate for them to kind of take him under their wings a little bit, or be a bit of a mother and father in the Lord, and say, now, Apollos, you're... You're amazing. You're doing a great job. You're obviously a gifted communicator. But can we just kind of disciple you a little bit, just coach you a little bit, invest in you? And, you know, five out of the seven times that this significant couple are mentioned, Priscilla's name comes first, which is really fascinating. In New Testament writing, the name of two people... Whenever there's two people listed, the, the one who was more well-known or perhaps had a higher profile would often come first. So I don't know if you've noticed, if you read through the book of Acts, the first half of Acts, until Acts 13, the phrase is Barnabas and Paul. And then there's something that obviously shifts as Paul begins to grow, perhaps in prominence and profile and... Um, you know, there's, 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 there's just this, this little, you don't, unless you're looking for it, you won't see it. Little shift, 
after Acts 13, it's Paul and Barnabas. So perhaps Priscilla was the more prominent of the two, maybe the more gifted communicator. And then Paul says this of them, they risked their lives for me. And that's not thought to be an exaggeration. You know, persecution at that time was normal. As it is, you know, for many of the global church. And, um, you know, there's one of the things that I'm really kind of considering at the moment is I think we would do well to look less towards perhaps the American church and more towards the persecuted church at this time. I think there are lessons around perseverance and, um, you know, really understanding what, what it means to hold on to Jesus when times are tough. So there's something that's going on here. Priscilla and Aquila, they have been persecuted. Obviously, being associated with Paul, that's not a safe option. You know, if you want an easy life, don't go hang out with Paul. That's, that's not the person to spend your time with. Um, and so there's been, they've paid some kind of cost to that. And it's obvious that it's not just Paul that's grateful. He says, not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. So they've got a kind of a leadership and an influence that's not just to one specific church. So it's probably something of a kind of an apostolic call on their lives. They can serve and they can strengthen wider than just one church. And then verses 5 and 6. Greet my dear friend Epenetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. So we don't know much about him. Apart from, he's the first Christian in Asia. So that's quite a legacy, if you think about the church in Asia today. And then greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. The phrase that Paul uses here, worked very hard, literally means great exertion to the point of exhaustion. I mean, like, hard graft. She's literally giving her all for the cause of Christ. And then verse 7, this really interests me. Um, You might see why I'm fascinated by it. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding amongst the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. So this couple have suffered in prison with Paul. They're not Gentile converts, they're Jewish background believers. In fact, Paul says they became followers of Jesus before I did. And given that Paul became a Christian soon after the death of Stephen, we know that, don't we, in AD 34, it's possible that Andronicus and Junior knew Jesus. Maybe even part of the 72 that Jesus sent out in Luke 10. Now, the interesting bit here is there's clearly a reference to a female apostle. No, I hear you say, that can't be possible. Well, it's very interesting. Later translators thought so too. So, for example, um, some of you who've got older translations of the NIV, junior became junius, just one small letter, one tiny, weeny little letter But the problem with that letter, it changed her gender from female to male. And the problem with that is Junia was a common name for a woman back then, whereas Junius is unknown as a male name. And so the identity of Junia as a female apostle was unquestioned until the 13th century. And then translators began to add that S and... uh, She was kind of hidden then, 
hidden in terms of church history. And then just more recently has kind of been reinstated into the history books. A bishop of the 4th century, when writing about Junia, said this, Oh, how great is the devotion of this woman that she should be counted worthy of the appellation of apostle. Appellation is a role or a title that's given to someone. So not only are they notable apostles, but it's possible that they are the apostles to the church in Rome. In chapter 15, Paul makes it clear he doesn't want to build on any other apostles' foundation. You remember he says... You know, he's he's very clear about that. So it's been suggested that in this chapter 16, which of course wasn't actually a chapter, you know, the chapters have been put in afterwards, but in his greetings at the end of this book, in recognizing Andronicus and Junior as apostles, Paul is essentially asking for their welcome and their blessing before he comes to Rome. And then verses 8 to 10, greet Ampliitis, my dear friend in the Lord, greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachus. Now this bit I find fascinating. So this this man, Ampliitis, behind this name, it's very interesting. This was a common slave name, okay? So obviously there were some names that were more kind of prevalent among slaves, some that would be more prevalent in the, the kind of... Uh, the slave owners. Now, in one of the earliest Christian cemeteries, there is a decorated tomb with a single name over the top, Ampliitis. It's bold and it's decorative in its lettering. Romans who were citizens would always have three names, a bit like a, you know, a first, a middle and a surname. But it was only slaves that would have just one name. So this elaborate tomb doesn't make sense because it's so beautiful and bold and yet the name above it is just one name which is clearly the name of a slave, Ampliitis. So I, I don't know, this is my theory, that it was so radical what was going on in the early church that it was possible at one and the same time to be highly esteemed in the church community and yet still be, on a human level, a slave. And that when he died, he was given, he was given the, the, the tomb, the grave of someone of great worth, great honor, even though he died as a slave. So, I like that. And then verses 10 and 11. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristopolis. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Twice we have this phrase, the household of. First, Aristopolis, who was the grandson of Herod the Great. So this is really interesting. And then Narcissus, who was the PA, if you like. They they wouldn't be called PA, but it was like the, the personal assistant to Emperor Claudius. So right in the heart of the imperial court, there were people who loved Jesus. I just, I think that's fascinating. Under the nose of the emperor, there were people professing that Jesus and not Caesar is Lord. I just love it. 
And then verse 12, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. And greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who worked very hard in the Lord. You know, Tryphena and Tryphosa are thought to be probably twin sisters. It's very common back then to give twins names that derive from the same root. And what's amusing here is their names literally translated mean dainty, Tryphena, and delicate, Tryphosa. So you've kind of got here little Miss Dainty and little Miss Delicate who are working like Trojans for the Lord. And so he's commending these women Again, what's coming across time and time and time again uh, is just this, this, how hard people are working for the gospel and how Paul is, is just noticing and seeing and pointing out and appreciating and commending and encouraging every single person for the roles that they had to play. And then verse 13, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother who has been a mother to me too. There's something really important, isn't there, about the way that we do see each other as family. There's later on, um, Paul talks about brothers and sisters, but there is something so important and so radical in how we can see each other, brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers in the Lord. And so another little fascinating background story, Rufus In Mark 15, many of you will remember this. Simon of Cyrene from North Africa was forced to carry the cross of Christ. Now, in verse 21 of Mark 15, Simon is identified by Mark, the writer of the gospel, as being the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, if someone is identified by the names of his sons, it means though even though he personally might not be known by the community, his sons are. To what community was Mark writing his gospel to? The church in Rome. So Simon, obviously, you know, we understand he would have been uh, on pilgrimage. You know, as a Jew, he possibly would have um, waited many, many years and possibly saved up for this to be a lifetime's journey to go to Jerusalem to celebrate one Passover in Jerusalem. You know, a lot of t- if you're traveling from North Africa, you're not going to make that journey very often. So this is, this is possibly like a once, you know, in a lifetime event. And then we know the story, don't we? As he enters the city, there's a touch of a Roman spear on his shoulder, and he's forced to carry a criminal's cross. And we don't know what was going on in his head, how he came to terms with the fact that he had turned up to go to a feast, a festival, and then suddenly he's got the pain and the shame of carrying a cross up to Calvary. But I am utterly convinced that he would have stayed at the foot of the cross. You don't carry a cross all the way up to Calvary and then not stay and see what happens And so I'm convinced he would have seen the broken body of Jesus nailed to the cross. He would have have been trying to get his head round. You know, the God he worshipped as a faithful Jew. Could this actually be man? The the son of God, the lamb of God, a blood-stained man, sacrificed on a cross. I'm sure he would have experienced the three hours of darkness Maybe the earthquake. Maybe he would have 
heard or even seen the temple curtain being torn from top to bottom. He maybe would have heard the words of Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then at the end, it is finished. So he arrived at Jerusalem to sit at a feast, but I'm convinced he returned as a follower. And, and what he would have seen that would have completely undone him, you know, he would have told that to his family. He would have gone back and he would have talked that through with his wife and his children. So again, I think there's so much that's going on here. This could be Rufus, Simon of Cyrene's son. And, this, this and, and Simon's wife being a mother to Paul. And then verses 14 to 16 list other legends of the church in Rome, again using the term brothers and sisters, which I just think is really helpful for us. And then some final instructions, verses 17 to 20. I urge you, brothers and sisters, watch out for those who cause divisions, put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. So we're told to watch out, aren't we? To be diligent, to be on our guard. Don't be sucked in by things that are contrary to the teaching of Jesus. I'm convinced that, oh man, more than ever, the church must be more discipled by the book, the word of God, than by culture. Conventional wisdom, you know, it's not always wise. And we know, don't we, those who marry the spirit of the age will find themselves a widow in the next So verse 18, don't be naive. Choose wisely who you spend time with. You know, one of the things that is fascinating, I've worked with students for many, many years, and um, one of the things that we will say to our students is the person that you are becoming is dependent primarily on two things. The people that you choose to hang out with and give access into your life and what you read. So whilst absolutely we've got to be in the world, not of the world, you've got to have good people that are speaking into your life and you have to be rooted into the word of God and the stuff that you're reading and listening to, if you like your media diet, it can't be junk food. It's got to be substance. So I think that for all of us, actually, you know, it's, it's particularly true for kind of teens and early 20s. But for all of us, if you imagine the person that you're going to be in five years time, the two primary influences on who you are becoming is who you get to hang out with and spend time with. And particularly who you allow access into your heart and what you read, what you digest, what you listen to. So be really intentional about those two things. And then verse 19, they're commended for their obedience. You know, perhaps God's love language is obedience. It communicates that we trust him. And then as we obey, peace and grace are ours. 
And then the last few words, Tertius is obviously the scribe. And then Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, send you his greetings. I just want to say to you, if you have the gift of hospitality, then use it because everybody enjoys it. It's clear here. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy. I mean, I mean, who doesn't love sitting down at a table and someone has put loads of time, effort, energy into hospitality and, and creating space and moments where life can be shared, memories are made, food is eaten together, and that, you know, there's something actually about communion. There's actually something, I think, when that happens, again, it's reflecting something of our deepest longings, which ultimately will be met in heaven, where there will be unbroken communion between us and Father God, and unbroken communion between us and other people. That's what's going to be so incredible. No second guessing, no self-doubts, no insecurities, no anxieties, no comparisons, nothing. Nothing that gets in the way of the, the, sometimes the human relationships that we have. But there are moments, aren't there? You must, you must have experienced it in church life where you're all just sitting down. It's like, oh, this is good. Relationships are sweet. There's unbroken communion between God the Father and us as his children. You know, I quite like sometimes when we're... In fact, as a small group, we break bread every single week. And there's something about just that sense of the communion together, you know, one body. But it's reminding us of our unbroken communion with Father God. And then I like this little bit just at the end. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother quarter send you their greetings. What I like about that is the fact you've got someone here who's obviously influential. So we've got slaves who are obviously highly esteemed. And then we've got someone who's the city's director of public works. That's like someone high up in like local council. Maybe the chief exec of the local council. And again, you know, it's important that we know the whole of our lives matter to God. So whatever it is that God has called you to do, whatever your front line, know that you go as a sent one. Every time you leave your house and you close your front door, speak over yourself. I'm a sent one. I am made in the image of God. I have got all the power of heaven invested in me. I'm sent. I'm an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. And so I go into my particular front line, my workplace. Maybe it's the school gates. Wherever it is that you spend the majority of your time, I go as a sent one. I go in order to bring in more of the kingdom of heaven. And I push back the kingdom of darkness. So go with that attitude. And let me encourage you to share stories with each other of what God is doing on your front line. And then, now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what it's about, giving glory to God. And that, and that we know what it is that our faith is deeply rooted in Christ. And so I, I, I just want to kind of, I want to encourage you to go through that book again, particularly that chapter of Romans. I think it's so rich, it's so deep. 
And as you're reading it, just to really get that sense of um, that, that culture of honor and that culture of encouragement and say, God, would you help me to have that kind of God filter? I do think there's something about when we, say, when we pray the prayer, God, let me see people as you see them. I think that changes everything. And so to ask God to give you that filter and then begin to outwork it. I know one of my friends wanted to grow in encouragement. And, uh, and so she just, she just made a, a kind of, I guess, an intentional decision. I'm going to find a way to encourage three people every day. And maybe if you kind of think I want to grow in it, then you've just got to do some very practical things like that. So let me pray, and then I'll hand back over to Andy. Lord, it is a real privilege to be part of your Plan A church. That, Lord, that we get to... um, Lord, we get to see what it is to be in team with others that you have also gifted and, um, and, and Lord, that there are such beautiful plans and purposes and potential in every single one of us here. And God, I pray that this church community would go to the next level of being a culture of encouragement. I pray, God, that you would give every single person here that filter to be able to see each other in the way that God sees us. And God, that there would just be a kind of almost like heaven just opens. And, and, just, and, and God, that there is an ability to see and the courage to speak it out that flows across this church community. I pray, Lord, in the small groups, uh, you know, in the, in the young people's work, in the prayer meetings, in socials, uh, and Lord, at times when we gather together on Sundays. I pray, God, that even as people get ready to come to a church gathering, you would be dropping in words of encouragement to be able to say and share that will strengthen each other. Oh, God. And, Lord, I pray that if there is anyone who has ever felt kind of held back uh, because of background, uh, you know, status, gender, anything that have been human kind of blockages or lids, then in the name of Jesus, I pray that those lids would be lifted, those barriers, Lord God, would be dismantled, and, God, that there would just be a fresh confidence that would come into every single person who has in any way felt held back, a confidence because of what you say, that Lord Jesus, that your voice is the loudest of all, and that when you call us and commission us, that that drowns out every other voice, every voice of self-doubt, but that Jesus, just as we see that this slave who uh, you know was highly esteemed and regarded, as we see women, as we see people of all kinds of different nationalities and backgrounds, oh God, Oh, God, that we would be people who would step up and step out into our God-given calling and potential. Oh, God, give us courage to do that. Lord, that we want to be the greatest gift that we can be to those around us. It doesn't serve anyone if we hide. So, God, if anyone is hidden in the shadows, then I pray in your amazing timing and in your and in, in lord in the way that you are so good at doing you would just grab a hold of a hand 
and you would just gently pull those people out of the shadows. That, Lord, that we would all play our part in your great kingdom cause. I ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Wow, thanks, Ness. Thank you so much. Wasn't that encouraging, eh? Really good. And we want to be a church like that. I was just reflecting, as Ness was speaking, just about what we've been preaching about on Sundays, about the kind of church we want to be in the hub. And um, a lot of those things just reinforced today so well. So thank you, Ness. Thanks for coming all the way down from Loughborough. Thanks for being with us today. We really, really appreciate it.